Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Red Carpet Rendezvous Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conlon. Happy Wednesday, everyone. I hope you guys are doing great. Um, I wanted to take a second to plug my new video podcast on wabcradio.com called NYC's Back. So I'm featuring prominent New Yorkers to discuss what's happening in New York City right now with Broadway coming back, businesses and restaurants, and of course, all of the crime and the politics of everything that's going on as well. So head to wabcradio.com podcast so you can watch NYC's back. Okay, so for this week's guest on Red Carpet Rendezvous, I've got actor John C. McGinley, who you might know best as one of the Bobs in Office Space um, and as Dr. Perry Cox on Scrubs. But we are going to focus on his new role, Frank O'Sullivan, in the season eight premiere of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and that will be on tomorrow, this Thursday, August 12th. So um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is super funny. It's with Andy Samberg, if you haven't seen it. But John is amazing and so talented. He was actually discovered by Oliver Stone. It's a really cool story you can look up. And something else about John, he's a father of three and his oldest son has Down syndrome. So John is heavily involved with that community, um, which is so amazing. And he just seems like an overall really genuinely good guy, good father and good husband. Um, I think you guys will get that sense from him as well. So without further ado, here is my interview with John McGinley. Hi, John. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Never better. I'm glad we got to talk. Yeah, me too. I love how you said never better because nobody ever answers me like that. So I really appreciate you. <laughs> I'm feeling good. You know, you're on a hit TV show. You're feeling good. Yes, exactly. Now, where where are you right now? What city? In Malibu. Malibu. Oh, I feel so bad for you. It's so terrible there, right? <laughs> it's not for everybody. Lauren, it's not for everybody, okay? Not okay. All right. All right. You I know, grew up in the West Village, and guess what? This is better. Wait, you did, didn't you? You are a New Yorker. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I love that. I probably will never leave New York, much to my husband's chagrin. But, um, but you know, I don't have Why? a job Why like can't me, you so. leave New York? Why do you people have to be in New York? What I is just, that? I just love it, and it's like, for what I do, it's I just need to be. It's like, I feel I, I have FOMO every I time I'm not here. I needed to be there. I needed to be. I, I couldn't have imagined. But then I got point break and whatever year, whatever year that was. And I came out to they, they, I was living down in Venice. They put me up in Venice. Wow. And I was like, I, I'm not going. I'm I'm never leaving here. <laughs> it was like an epiphany. Wait, like, wait, Venice? Know, Kevin, Kevin Bacon has that great scene in the middle of the diner when he and Mickey yeah. are riding on the outskirts of Baltimore and they see that beautiful woman on the back of that horse. And Kevin uh, Kevin turns to Mickey and he goes, you ever get the feeling there's a whole world out there we don't know anything about? <laughs> and that's the way I felt. Like, when we were doing Point Break, that's the way I felt. I was like, well, wow. oh, my God, it's really nice out here. Wait, that is so funny. Now, oh, my gosh, wow, that's great. I love that. Well, I'm excited to watch you on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You are 
so good, John. You are so talented. Um, something about you that I always find super great is that you're so serious that you're funny, right? Like you're the the way you deliver your lines. You've got amazing comedic timing. Um, oh, that's nice of you to say. I appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. And it's not even nice of me. It's just honest, I guess. <laughs> um, but I want to ask you. So for Brooklyn Nine Nine, it's a comedy. Do you guys improv a lot on set? When you're filming? No, 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 no. No. Dan, Dan Gore, who's the executive producer of this, is kind of the Norman Lear. He's kind oh. of the Norman Lear of his generation. And that stuff's on the page. I mean, okay. sure, you can add some flavor. Yeah. But this is a meticulously crafted show. And oh. that writer's room is populated by total superstars. And so when you get that script, you want to you wanna hew to those words pretty assiduously. Okay. There's not... There's room to roam around once you've served the script properly. But until that, you, no, 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 no. You stay on, it's, the, the script is called the book. You stay on the book. Okay. Okay, that's very interesting. I hear a lot of different things from actors who work on, um, you know, sitcoms like that. So that's, that's really cool. You know, when the writer's room doesn't have the pedigree of something like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Scrubs mm-hmm. or, you know, these upper echelon writer's rooms, then, yeah, the, the burden is on the actors to come in and, and pull a rabbit out of a hat, a la yeah. Jim Carrey or Robin Williams or Jonathan Winters. But guess what? Most of us aren't Jonathan Winters and Jim Carrey and Robin Williams. Those, mm-hmm. those are generational talents. A lot of us need a, a roadmap, which is the script, yeah. to figure yeah. out how to chart a course through this thing. And so when the words are on the page and, and you can serve them, then you have a chance of doing something interesting. Yeah, you're very humble um, to say that. And something that I was just thinking about, because you're a stage actor as well. Now, I know, you know, the more you do a show, right, like on Broadway, the more you're doing it, the more comfortable you're getting, and and the more things you sort of discover, you know, within your character and, and the show you're doing. TV, that's completely different. You have to get comfortable right away. Am I right? Because you only have one or two takes. Yeah, the the difference the difference is like we, I just did a uh, God I just it was during Sandy, um, I I did a revival with Al Pacino and, and Bobby yes, Carvalho and Glenn Gary David. right? Harvey we did Glenn Gary yes. at the Schoenfeld for yes. uh, I don't know about six months or so, and the difference is that that crowd's going to be different every night. So so that that moment or that beat that you think you own every night mm. you know when the when the purple hairs up in the ma- uh, up in the mezzanine come on saturday for the matinee that may not resonate like it did for a well-served crowd on friday or saturday night right and so tempering your performance uh is something that really great theater actors are very agile are very cere- cerebrally agile and, and able to adapt to the room when you're doing when you have six or seven takes on a set whether it's a film with Oliver or, or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, um, yeah. you, can, you can find it. You can find your way um, because there are people micromanaging it over in Video Village, and <laughs> you don't have that luxury uh, when you're at the Schoenfeld in front of 1,100 people eight nights a week. Mm-hmm. And so uh, each discipline is, is really you have to approach it quite meticulously. Right, right. And I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was so excited because um, I saw that Glenn Gary again. Oh, you did? That yeah, that's why. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm i a huge Broadway fan. Um, so, no, I, I I just got really excited. And I love, I love watching actors um, who are in movies and films and television do Broadway because they really have to sort of, I don't want to say change themselves, but all of a sudden, they, you know, their movements are very small on TV. Then I see them larger in life up 
up close, you know, on Broadway, and I love that. Sure. Yeah. So, sure. Um, I, I, I graduated from NYU with a, a master's from the, the theater program at Tisch, and so the mandate that we had uh, that was handed down to us from Olympia Dukakis, rest in peace, was eight wow. shows a week. That was the mantra, eight shows a week, <laughs> which is what your schedule obviously is in off-Broadway and on-Broadway. Yeah. And what, what that meant was that whatever your instrument, which is what actors, acting teachers call your, your body and your voice and your, your movement, whatever serves your instrument to be able to do eight shows a week is, is what you have to, have to cultivate. Yes. And so, in other words, when you have that fight at the end of that hypothetical fight at the end of the first act of of such and such play, you can't hurt your wrist. You can't. You have to figure out how to do that fight where you get thrown over the couch. Another, <laughs> and, uh, I'm making this up. Yeah. But when yeah. you get thrown over the couch in the, in the, the, uh, the, at the end of the first act, you can't hurt your ankle because mm-hmm. you have to do it again tonight and the rest of the week. And so, so that craft, that's all craft. It, that has to look like, you know, when, when Gary Sinise and, and John Malkovich, when they descended on New York and were doing Orphans and all these different plays with Steppenwolf, the, uh, True West, yeah. they, they couldn't get hurt. When John was throwing those toasters around the stage at Gary, they, they couldn't <laughs> hurt each other. Right. And that's all craft. Yeah. And so, and so that, that, that's an important part of being able to do a play. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I, I always You can't say blow this. your voice out when you have to scream at, at your wife at the, <laughs> end, at the end of the play every night. Right. You can't blow your voice out because this is just a matinee. You're right. doing one tonight. Yeah, you got to save it. And I, I always say that, you know, theater actors never get enough credit. They literally never I get agree. enough credit. They're underpaid. They are, you know, it's, it's crazy to me. Um, but this is actually so funny. I discovered, you know, the... Uh, the it's a chain juice press. Do you guys have, you have that in yeah, California, course, but you know, yeah, they have these things called ginger fireballs. And since, you know, I'm on the oh, radio man. and stuff, have you, get your attention. wait, have you tried the pill form of them? No. Oh my gosh, John, you have to get them. They taste like shit, but they are so good for your throat. Like, I mean, you have to be hardcore to, to swallow these, but you will thank me. You're going to be like, you know what? Lauren WABC, you're right. Juice press, ginger fireballs. The pill. Oh my God. My, my yep. castmate, Richard Shift, who's one of the greatest actors on the planet. He blew his voice out during Glengarry and oh, yeah. uh, he did not miss a show, but uh, he oh. almost did, boy. Yeah. He almost did. He probably went the steroid but- route, right? <laughs> <laughs> the injection. Yeah. I've done that before too. I think we've all done it, right? In in emergencies. But last question. This is an emergency, trust yeah, me. Last question, because I know that I, I have to let you go. You have another uh, interview where you're wrapping up, but you have three kids um, and you travel a lot for, for work and for, you know, you, you're doing um, a theater or you're doing a movie and you're filming and you're, you're on location. How does that affect your family? You're, you're traveling well, all the time. It was really fascinating. My wife, Nicole, who is a teacher, um, for the first uh, 10 years of everybody's life, we homeschooled. And so ah. the only reason that's germane to your question is because uh, we would tailor, Nicole would tailor the curriculum to the city we were in. So in other words, when the girls were studying the American Revolution and yeah. I, got, uh, I was producing a show down in Atlanta uh, called Stand Against Evil, uh, Nicole switched the curriculum since obviously Atlanta wasn't there for the American Revolution. Um, <laughs> she switched it to the civil rights movement. And so by the time the girls got to Atlanta, they were familiar with the Ebenezer Baptist Church and what Dr. King did there. And they got oh. to go to the Museum of Inclusion where Gandhi is walking, a, a life-size statue of Gandhi is walking on water. And so now that educational experience mm-hmm. becomes, uh, d- uh, you, 
can touch it. You can smell it. You can feel it. You can, you can go to the Civil War Museum and find out what that was. Right. And so I never had an educational experience like this. And so what Nicole has crafted for these kids uh, is just unique and really special. They now, are, are, they now go to schools, but for the first 10 years, what Nicole charged them with was learning how to learn, which you yeah. can plug in anywhere. And so they learned how to learn. And I thought that was, I was on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I watched this and it was absolutely fascinating. And I want to come back as a McGinley girl with the oldest <laughs> mom because I didn't have an educational experience like this, man. Oh, that's great. I mean, your wife sounds like a really amazing woman. I, I could, I'm telling you right now, I could never do that with my children. <laughs> Literally never, I completely never. completely understand. Yeah, I couldn't it's either. a special type of person to do that. So she sounds amazing. Um, and that's great. Your family could travel with you so you didn't have to miss them and you're not like pulling them out of school. So that's, yeah, that's I wonderful. I don't know if I can do that anymore. Yeah. I don't think I could do that. Yeah. Well, well, John, thank you. I lose interest. The most interesting thing is these kids. I mean, <laughs> there's no gig yeah. that's more interesting than that. Aww. And so... And with my son, Max, who's 24 now, or be 24 at the end of August, and Max was born with Down syndrome, and he's mm-hmm. doing great. But I got to be around Maxie. That's why Scrubs was such a gift. I got to be yeah. here in Los Angeles for 10 years with Maxie when he was growing up Aww. instead of being on the road somewhere. I yeah. wouldn't have been able to organize it in my brain. That's cute. I like that you call him Maxie. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's really cute. But anyway, John, thank you so much. I'm so excited to see you on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, you're, you're just such a fabulous actor, and you're clearly a fabulous person. My goodness, this was well, so fun. Nice to say. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, that was John McGinley, everyone. Wasn't he so fun? I I feel bad because before I get on these calls, the publicist is like, you have 10 minutes, you have 10 minutes, or you have 15 minutes. So I'm trying to kind of contain everything and, and you know, keep it tight. But it's always hard because I could talk to these people forever. And, you know, I, I really could because I talk so much. And, and, you know, when they're good like John, it's just so easy. So anyway, if you like this podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple. And um, I will see you next week. Thanks for listening.